Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, beginning at verse 5. Listen once again for the word of God. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you pray with me? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As Veterans Day approached this week, I read a few stories told by those who had survived times of war. Many are very difficult to read, of course, but there are also many stories of hope and faith and courage. One such story is about the liberation of a POW camp in the Philippines where prisoners who had survived the Bataan Death March were kept in extremely brutal conditions for a period of three years. Hampton Sides recounts the story of the liberation in his book, Ghost Soldiers. He writes, slowly the awareness that this was a jailbreak was beginning to sink in among the rest of the prisoners. They were reacting with a kind of catatonic ecstasy, numb and inarticulate. One prisoner wrapped his arms around the neck of the first U.S. Ranger he saw and kissed him on the forehead. All he could say was, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Alvy Robbins found one prisoner muttering in a darkened corner of one of the barracks, tears streaming down his face. I thought we had been forgotten. The prisoner said, no, you're not forgotten, Robin said, we have come for you. With the help of many heroic Filipinos, the liberated prisoners, sick, weak, frail, made their way all the way back to the Allied lines. Finally, they saw an American flag set in the turret of a tank. It wasn't much of a flag, but for the men it was galvanizing. 
POW Ralph Hibbs remembers that his heart stopped. It was the first stars and stripes he'd seen since the surrender three years earlier. We wept openly, and we wept without shame. You see, hope had returned to people who had all but forgotten how to hope. Redemption had come. New life, new creation was possible in spite of all the evidence to the contrary. I imagine the people of Israel at the time the passage from Isaiah this morning was written were feeling pretty hopeless themselves. This passage from the great prophet comes during a hard, dark time in Israel's history. The people had spent many long years in exile in Babylon. The exile finally came to an end and they returned home only to find that their homeland was largely destroyed. The great temple of Solomon, the very home of their God, lay in ruins. Their own homes had been occupied by an invading force for generations. The walls of the city lay in pieces all around them. Some of their faith leaders and, and political leaders had died along the way. Everything around them lay in ruins. The people felt overwhelmed by the enormity of trying to rebuild and to recover from the destruction they discovered upon their return. And their hopes and dreams for the future seemed to lay in shambles, just as their homeland did. Their dream of returning to the comfort of life as they once knew it was shattered. They must have cried out in their grief, their lament, their anger, and their desperation to God. And into this moment of deep despair, when faith and trust in God hung by the slenderest of threads, God spoke a startling word of hope and promise. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. And then God goes on to paint a vivid image of the redemption and restoration of all things, of the renewed promise of God's steadfast, gracious, merciful, healing presence with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Just as God had done at the beginning of all creation, our creator God once again speaks a dream of new creation into being, calling his people to take heart, to be filled with courage and with hope, to trust in the power of God to create, restore, redeem, and heal, to make all things new. That generation would not live to see the dream fully realized, but they did take hold of hope. They grasped on to the promises of God and they began to rebuild. They still lived in the midst of pain and grief over what had been lost, but they could hope once again that God was at work creating a new future filled with healing, redemption, and the possibility of new life, all evidence to the contrary. 
In the meantime, they would trust, witness to God's promises, and join God in the work of redemption and new creation. A few hundred years later, the Jews at the time of Jesus also cried out under the heavy hand of oppression and poverty, this time under the heel of Rome. The temple had been rebuilt, but they longed for the good old days when Israel was strong and independent, ruled by mighty kings, triumphant over all enemies. They longed for a time when their land was free, life was peaceful, and they enjoyed the promised land flowing with milk and honey, when they worshiped freely and without fear, and when God seemed to shower them with grace and blessing. Now, they were living in an occupied land, taxed into poverty, longing for redemption, even as their hope and faith seemed to grow more fragile. Jesus' disciples hoped he might be the one, the Messiah, come to free them and set all things right. In the passage for today, Jesus does not speak very comforting words to his disciples and followers. He speaks as an ancient prophet would, telling them what is to come in the days ahead. The temple once again destroyed, false prophets leading people astray, persecution, suffering, and even death for some of those who would follow him faithfully. Jesus speaks not only of Israel in this passage, but of all creation, nations and kingdoms in turmoil, war, natural disasters, plagues, and even signs in the great cosmos beyond them of the end of life as they know it. A few verses after the reading this morning in Luke, Jesus closes by saying, at the very moment, all seems most hopeless and lost. They are to stand up, lift up their heads, and see that their redemption is drawing near. That generation did not live to see everything Jesus prophesied, although they did see the destruction of the temple once again. They did not live to see the promised return of Christ or God's kingdom completely fulfilled, but they continued the work Jesus started and they bore witness to the redemption that had come in Jesus Christ and they trusted in their God and they spoke of God's promises and they joined God and Christ in the work of redemption and new creation. Both of these passages using different languages call the people of faith to look beyond the troubles of the present time and to see the redemption of God as it approaches from a distance. These words of God and of Jesus call the faithful to trust in God's vision, God's dream for God's people and for all of God's good creation. And both passages call us as God's faithful ones who still live in the meantime to trust, to bear witness to God's promises, and to join God in the work of redemption, healing, and restoration. Both passages call us to live with an unfailing hope and to live as faithful witnesses of God's love, goodness, grace, mercy, and redemption, even when Perhaps especially when the circumstances around us make it harder to see God at work in the world, 
in the church, and in our own individual lives. Both of these passages speak the word of God to a people who may have believed they had been forgotten. And God says, no, you are not forgotten. I have come for you. Redemption has come. Hope has arrived. New life, new creation is possible. All evidence to the contrary. We do not live in a situation quite as dire as the one the people of Israel found themselves in upon their return from Babylon or in the time of Jesus and the earliest church as they struggled under Roman occupation. But our time has troubles of its own, doesn't it? As all periods in human history have experienced. We live in a time of deep political divides, of social upheaval, of economic struggle for so many of our neighbors. We live at a time across the globe when there are those in the grip of war, when our very earth is suffering from ecological distress, and when we are still trying to recover from two years of pandemic isolation and restrictions. Churches all across our land are struggling to know what shape our post-pandemic life will take as communities of faith. My clergy colleagues across denominations and all across the country and even around the globe struggle to understand what is happening in the life of the church when fewer folks are returning to their communities of faith in the same ways they used to participate. There are fewer of us in in-person worship, fewer of us coming for Christian education offerings and no one seems to have the magic cure for the changes we see around us. Perhaps this is our new normal, we say to each other, and these changes cause distress among many, and perhaps some grief of letting go of what was in order to embrace the new thing God may be doing among us. All of us know the longing for things to go back to the way they were, when we are experiencing a time of great change. It is true in our personal lives, our family lives, our national life, and in the life of our faith communities. But we follow a God who is always in the act of creating and of recreating. Nothing is ever static. The new James Webb telescope has given us glorious images of creation happening on a cosmic level all the time. New stars are always forming, even as old stars die. We cannot ever go back to the way things used to be in life. We must always move forward, trusting that our God is in the business of new creation within us, among us, and even when we are faithful, sometimes through us. Barbara Brown Taylor, in a sermon called Surviving Eden, tells the longing of Adam and Eve to return to the paradise they had known before the fall. But of course, they cannot return. They can only move forward into the new life God is calling them to embrace and trust in God's gracious love and God's power to redeem. She writes, Using all the scraps at hand, Adam and Eve managed to build first an altar and then a home, to bake bread from the wild wheat of the field 
and to bear five children. Using the pieces of their broken past, they made a future for themselves and for their descendants in the world outside of Eden, a world we continue to live in today. It is a world full of dents and chips and scars. Even where we have glued it back together, you can still see the cracks, but in its own way, it is lovely a mosaic of many colors, a mended work of art, a testament to the God who is willing to work with broken pieces and who calls us to do the same. That is our story, a story with everything human in it, promise, failure, blame, guilt, forgiveness, healing, hope. A story about us and a story about our God who did not create us just once, but goes on creating us forever, putting our pieces back together so that we are never ruined, never entirely, and never for good. As all of us seek in our individual lives and as a church to see the new thing God is doing in our midst, sometimes out of the ashes of grief, loss, addiction, turmoil, illness or doubt in our individual lives, or of seismic changes and how our culture does church in the life of our congregations, we must remember that God's message in the midst of great change is a message of redemption and resurrection. God is always doing something new within us and among us. Remember that Jesus' first followers never could clearly understand the new thing God was doing in Jesus during his lifetime. Jesus spoke these prophetic words about cataclysmic changes to come just days before his own death, a death he knew was coming. His own disciples could not understand that God's new creation, God's redemption, would be born through suffering and death. They could not see that it was only through Jesus's brokenness that they and the whole of God's creation would be made whole. Perhaps there are things in your life that feel beyond redemption and you cannot imagine any goodness, any new creation, any new life coming from the broken pieces lying all around you. Perhaps our churches may struggle for a time to understand how the cultural shifts we see in our lives as communities of faith can be part of the new creation, the redemption God is bringing to life. But remember, we Presbyterians know that we are part of a church reformed and always being reformed. The redemption of God is among us, Jesus tells us. And the final word in God's great salvation history tells us that God is always creating and recreating, always restoring and redeeming. The story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ reminds us that God's last word is always resurrection. Maybe, just maybe, if God were speaking to us today, God would say, the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create independent Presbyterian church as a joy and its people as a delight. 
our task in these days is to trust God and to trust in God's ongoing creation of each one of our lives, of our churches, and of the whole of God's vast creation. To stand up, lift up our heads, and look for God's redemption, new creation, and resurrection at work all around us. Lift up your heads and look. God's redemption may not look as you expect it to look. God's redemption may look like fellowship around a table of dinners for eight, like gathering around God's word and learning something new in a grace group or a Bible study or Sunday school. God's redemption and new creation might be found in the notes of music in worship so beautiful you are moved to tears, or in the extended hand of a fellow worshiper as they offer you the peace of Christ. God's redemption and new creation may look like the prayers of others lifting you up when you are sick, like the meals brought to your home to sustain you when you are grieving. God's redemption and new creation may look like the smiles and the dawning understanding on the faces of children in the stare and liftoff programs, like the tired but grateful faces of women and children at first light as you serve dinner like our friends in Ukraine providing housing and food and other relief to refugees of war. God's redemption and new creation may look like bags of ugly sweet potatoes gathered among your friends in the crop drop. Or perhaps God's redemption and new creation may look like the face of yet another child bathed in the waters of baptism and welcomed into our family of faith as together we stand in the long stream of the faithful throughout all the ages who trusted in God when it was easy and when it was hard. And as we trust in the God of our salvation, we are called by Jesus to bear witness in word and in deed to the goodness of our God, to the redemption of Jesus Christ, and to the end of God's story, which is always resurrection and new life in spite of all the evidence to the contrary. My friends, we have not been forgotten. You, no matter where you are in your life as you sit in this pew today, have not been forgotten. God remembers God's people, and God has come for us in Jesus Christ. And now, God calls us to journey onward with God and with Christ, because God is always, always making all things new. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.